0: So the Blue Jays are leading
1: Tampa Bay 2-1 in the bottom of the sixth. In the top of the inning, Justin Smoke was picked off first as he broke for second base. The uh, Tampa Bay first baseman tried to throw to second to get him out and hit Smoke in the back of the head with the baseball. So Smoke made it safely. to Second base should have been out. Kind of an an unusual play. Inside Sports on 630 Chet at 7.06. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for listening this evening. Kellen Kennedy is our
0: studio producer tonight. Kellen, old boy, how are you doing? Guess you could say Justin got smoked. Oh, there in the we back go. The head.
1: There we go. Huh? You were saying huh? you have been spending too much time with Gene Principe. Ah, uh, yeah. In the NHL tonight, uh, the Sabers are up two nothing on the Devils in the third. Hurricanes and Bruins tied one one in the third. The Capitals on home ice leading the New York Islanders two one early third period. Ovechkin has his forty sixth. Tavares has his thirty first. Tampa Bay two Rangers nothing late second period. Five minutes left in the second. Ottawa up 3-2 on Pittsburgh. Panthers and Habs playing again. 1-1 late second period. Sharks have a 1-0 edge on Minnesota. The second period just started. Late in the first, Denny Savard's Chicago Blackhawks with a 2-0 lead on Arizona. Taves has his 27th. Preds 2, Avs 1. After 1, still to come, Jets and Ducks, Kings and Flames. Oilers play the Canucks tomorrow. It's on 6-30, Ched. Basically, the coverage starts at noon, the game starts at 5. Western Hockey League, it's not good. It's 4-1 for the Wheat Kings, five minutes into the second period. Oil Kings in dire straits now.
0: You like the uh, Masters, Kellen Kennedy? (laughs) Uh, No, I'm just trying to remember. Was that the pool that I got roped into on this show last year that I ended up picking? Yeah, I think you picked, was that you that picked David Duvall? Uh, And Greg Norman,
1: yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Anyway, so you don't know a lot about golf, which is fine. I love the golf. Masters (laughs) starts Thursday. Later on, by the way, tonight we'll have Craig MacArthur, head golf pro at Blackhawk Golf Club, who has played Augusta National. He has played Augusta National, so he'd, uh, he'll give us some insight. Connor McDavid in about a minute, Mark Lamb in about six minutes, Cal Nichols in about 30 minutes. But uh, Jordan Spieth, defending Masters champion, gets to pick the menu for the champions' dinner tonight. He's having a salad with tomatoes, cucumber, red onion, balsamic vinaigrette, and corn muffins. The main course, Authentic Texas Barbecue – beef brisket, smoked half chicken, and pork ribs with barbecue baked beans, bacon and chive potato salad, sautéed spring beans, grilled zucchini, and roasted yellow squash. Are you hungry yet? And then the dessert is a warm chocolate chip cookie with vanilla ice cream. Served to past Masters champion. John. John. Before I get to John, I'm putting you on before I finally get to Connor McDavid, so I oh, hope this great. is a good Thanks, one.
2: Reed. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. i you since the football season. <laughs> oh, cool. Thanks yeah. for calling back. Love your show. Well, listen, uh, I thought I'd just call about uh, our coach McClellan because I just admired him during the, the year where he had these reasonable explanations, he kept the focus, he, he, you could see where he was heading with the team. And then, you know, everybody has their limits. I think Saturday was it. And uh, that was, you know, an emotional thing. And Sunday and Monday have been emotional calls, but I think everybody just has to realize that the Oilers have made strides this year. When you think the last so 15, 20 games, we've been playing with three of our, our six defensemen out. The whole year has been just a disaster with injuries. Like, I see us better in a lot of ways. I see us better in goal. I see us better with the penalty kill, better-looking power play. It has to produce better. But, it, I mean, when you got the skill, guys, you can you can see it's coming. And so I'm just telling everybody, you know, to, to chill out and give them a chance once they get things reorganized. And I have a great deal of faith in Peter Shirley I think he's smart. I'm thinking he knew what kind of guys we needed by Christmas time, and I'm sure McClellan did too. And so I don't think these last few games really mean a bunch in terms of their decisions. I think they'd, uh, they've they got a plan that they're going to call for.
1: John, thanks for calling, buddy. Thank you. That is John on line one. All right, Connor McDavid. Spoke to me and the other media lowlifes today after practice. You know, after Saturday's game and the last couple of practices, what do you
3: hope for uh, effort-wise tomorrow, and what message have
1: you received from the coaches here?
3: Yeah, I think the message has been received loud and clear of, of uh, you know, how that last game went. I think it's pretty obvious. You know, the coaches don't need to tell us how it went, but um, you know, as as a, as a whole. Group here, I think we want to play our best here for the final game, and um, you know, there's a lot of people that's going to be be in the building, you know, special alumni and great fans and, and all that. So um, you know, we want to put forward our, our best foot and you know put together a solid game.
1: There's a lot of routine to an NHL season. How much do you think about the fact that, oh, there is something different about this game, you touched on the alumni, there's going to be a ceremony after, it starts at a different time, how much does that factor into your preparation?
3: Yeah, you've got to take it into consideration, but um, you know, whatever routine you do have, you just move it ahead a little bit, so um, it doesn't really affect us too much. Um, you know, I'm not really sure what the plan is for tomorrow, I don't think we've gone over it very much, but um, you know, I know that there... It's going to be a special game, you know, no matter what. Um, you know, we'd obviously like to leave this building, you know, with a bang, and um, you know, give the fans something to cheer about and, and something to look forward to for next year. Must be a sense of awe playing in front of you know, 150 or 200 former Oilers. You got Hall of Famers, Stanley Cup winners, and, and watching the guys from this last round. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really cool. I mean, um, you know, we're very lucky to have the alumni that we do here in Edmonton, and um, you know, they're all uh, you know they, they all have you know different kind of piece in, in Oilers' history and it's it's very cool to to kind of understand that a little bit better. I've been learning about it uh, you know, more and more as I've been a part of the, the organization, so um, it'll be very fun to, to play in front of those guys. Do you have a sense of the building? You haven't been here that long, but um, what's your what's your take on Rexall Place? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit older now, but uh, you just get a sense for the history. I mean, you look up and you see the banners and, and the names and the rafters and um, you know, it's a special place and um, you know it's really hard to, to picture you know what it, what it would have been like you know winning a Stanley Cup here you know with with how everything's gone this year but um, you know, I can only imagine you know what it must have been like so um, you know, definitely uh, want to put uh, together a good game here to close it out
2: little
0: is there a little bit of pressure, knowing that okay, after the game we're gonna go mingle with 150 alumni guys. I'm gonna shake a bunch of hands, guys. I have met, We want to play well. We want to come off the ice, a win, so that I can look all those guys in the eye and say, hey, we played our butts off tonight. Is there even as a pro, is there some pressure in that?
3: Uh, you want to play. You want to play. You know your best every night, and you know whether we win or lose, I, I'm sure we'll still look them in the eye and, and all that. But. Um, you know, we definitely want to play well like I keep saying and um, you know want to win and, and put together a good game for you know for the history of the building and for the fans and, and for the all, all the alumni that are going to be here um, you know, it's definitely something we, we want to do
2: is, there, is it fair that
3: for sort of this generation of players the most excitement comes from like next year and where you're going to play next season as opposed to putting this one to bed I mean the new arena in downtown and everything like that has got to be yeah, I think everyone's looking forward to that. Um, you know, I know as players, we're definitely excited to to be in that new building. It looks like it's going to be amazing. Uh, just even from the outside, it looks beautiful, and um, you know I'm sure the inside will be just as nice. So, um, you know, as players, it's kind of bittersweet that uh, we won't be at Rexall anymore, but at the same time, we got a, a beautiful building to, to move into at the start of next year.
1: That's Connor McDavid. While Mark Spector, Rob Tichkowski, and myself all ignored the Oilers' PR staff telling us to go to the Todd McClellan availability in the back. We just kept throwing questions at McDavid. Fishing for clips. That's what that was. Mark Lamb up next, Inside Sports on Chet. Inside Sports on 630. Chet, so many alumni coming into town for tomorrow night's game, including Mark Lamb, one of the heroes of the 1990 Stanley Cup championship team. Mark, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing real good. It's good to talk to you. Man, quite a night tomorrow night. Over 150 alumni are, are going to be here. I don't know if there's ever, ever been that many ex-Oilers in one place at, <laughs> at, 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 at one time. Uh, what are you most looking forward to about, about being here?
4: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, a lot of people that you haven't seen for a long time. You know, uh, these things don't come around very often. Everybody goes their separate ways. Um, We're going to, you know, I'm going to see people that uh, you haven't seen for a long time and and some people you won't ever see again.
1: You became an oiler uh, in the 87-88 season, but you didn't play a lot with them that year. Um, and then I think you played around 20 games or so in 88-89. First of all, just what was that lineup like to crack? I mean, sure, Gretzky got traded shortly after you got claimed. I don't know if there's a connection there or not. But uh, <laughs> what was it yeah. like just trying to work your way into that lineup?
4: Well, I got I got picked up on uh, waivers. Uh, I was in Detroit at the time. and. Uh, we had played Edmonton in the playoffs the year before. And when I got picked up in by, on waivers by Edmonton, I was like, well, geez, I'm never going to make that lineup at all. Uh, you know, so, you know, you're happy that a that a team wants you. You look at, you know, they just won the cup. They were just stacked. Uh, they were stacked to win again. And uh, I was just wondering where I fit in. And, you know, I got, I went up there right away. I seen the Stanley Cup in the middle of the dressing room that give, uh, that gave me chills and I just went down and I worked real hard and I was lucky enough to get called back up.
1: You, uh, you know, you went through a time where like, like, you you know, you won the fifth Stanley cup with them. Um, they obviously had the playoff disappointment in 1989, but did the Edmonton Oilers have swagger? Was there something just about becoming an oiler that made you puff out your chest a little bit at that time?
4: Yeah, they, uh, they, they had lots of swagger and it and it wasn't cocky. A lot of people um, thought it was cocky. It was a swagger of being a winner. They worked hard to, to be winners. There was a whole group of them that, uh, that grew up very young. And uh, Glenn Sather and all the coaching staff did a really good job of producing and, and leading the way and making these guys think the right way and turned them into winners and, you know, you hear all the stories about how they won cups and what they had to do, and you know it's never easy to do that. And especially after, you know, after going through and, and going through the playoffs and and winning a Stanley Cup, you really realize how hard um, it really is to win a cup. But I really learned, um, you know, the season before when we had LA, uh, we had them, we were up three games to one, and they came back and beat us in seven games, and I, I really sense, the, the disappointment in the veterans and, and how much it, it really hurt them uh, to get beat out and how much it really took to take that next step, and we did it the next year.
1: Well, and, and that was a big one, and I guess of the, of the five Stanley Cups, maybe that was one that was least expected, though obviously you guys were still a really good team that year, but you really got pushed in the first round, and everybody remembers Bill Ranford, but you played a key part in that series because the Jets won game one and then you guys won game two in overtime, and you got the goal. So here's my uh, big, dumb, obvious question of the night, Mark Lamb. Biggest goal you ever scored.
4: <laughs> yeah, it was. It, you know, you're in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You're you're in the league that you strive to be in um, since you are a young kid. And um, now you're out on the ice in the Stanley Cup playoffs in overtime. And I told the story before that I was – I was put out to to take the face off. Uh, um, Craig Simpson and Tickenen and Curry were a line, and I went out there to take the face off for, for Craig Simpson, and I was just cutting. I was going to cut right through the middle and come to the bench and change, and Curry put it right on my stick. I went right be- between the 2D, and I happened to score. So uh, that was a great moment.
1: Backhander,
4: if I remember? It was a backhander, yeah.
1: Now, did you did you have a good backhand, or was that just one that went in for you?
4: I I did that day.
1: <laughs> That's all that matters, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it worked on that shot. Well, and then that got yeah. you guys a big win. The Jets obviously were up were up three one. Now that that was an interesting one because you know if you don't score, who knows? Maybe you guys wind up getting swept. But but a lot of people were saying at that time, you know, all right, the Oilers lost in '89. It looks like they're out in the first round again. What got you guys, I don't know if back on track is the right word, but who sort of kept you guys alive, kept the spirit up that you were able to come back against the
4: Jets? Well, I think it was the belief in the, in the winning of of, of of all the veterans. And, and, you know, there was many veterans on that team that had all those Stanley Cups. But I, I think the biggest thing was the learning experience the year before. Um, When we had uh, got beat, we were up three games to one uh, against L.A., and we got beat. And so the belief was that, you you know, you can come back in any given series and, you know, the old cliches, you say one game at a time and that's exactly what you had to do. But those games were hard fought. Uh, Winnipeg was a very good team. And those first first series in the NHL, they're – They they really set you up. And the adversity that you go through when you're down three games to one and you come back and and you win that series, it really sets you up for the rest of the playoffs.
1: I mean this is this is a celebration about about Rexall place and that was the one cup you guys didn't win on home ice but but certainly some important home games uh, along the way certainly uh you know game 5 in that series i think you guys were also down 3-1 in game 5 and came back to win what what was what was the crowd like? I mean, it was a, a fan base that, let's face it, was was pretty fortunate to see a lot of cup wins and and uh, and was greedy for more. What do you remember about about? I guess it was Northlands Coliseum at the time, and and where there's fans and the atmosphere in that building.
4: Well, I I, I remember that it uh, you know playoffs playoffs are always totally different, and the fans the fans really knew that too from all the experience that they had and all the winning they've had. Um, as, as you got going into a series, you've seen a lot more signs that went up into the building about people, and it got bigger, and it got louder all the time. And, and that's what hockey's all about. That's what excitement's all about. Uh, the anthems uh, were louder and seemed to have more life. Like, everything was just special.
1: Mark Lamb joining us on Inside Sports. He'll be in town for the... Big game tomorrow night, one of the over 150 Oilers alumni attending the game against the Vancouver Canucks. You uh, eventually went into coaching, uh, one year as an Oilers assistant, several years with Dallas, and now you've been the head coach and GM in Swift Current since 2009. Mark, was there a point in your playing career... Uh, where you really said to yourself, "Man, I, I, I want to stay in it and and I want to be a coach." I always like asking guys this because um, for a lot of ex players, there there are a lot of different paths to becoming a coach. Some mm-hmm. guys know it right away. Some guys don't discover it till till later on. What was it like for you?
4: You know, when I knew uh, I knew at a young age. I knew when I was around Pee Lee uh that I that I wanted to coach. I love the game. I like being around the game. I grew up on a farm, um, and from as long as I remember, I wanted to be a hockey player. And then after I got a little established doing that, I was always intrigued with the coaches. I always watched what they did. I always had in my mind of, of different ideas and different things that I would do in those situations if I was behind the bench. And um, when I when I started playing pro, at the end of my year, I you know, when I was in Montreal, Jacques Demers, uh, when I didn't play a couple games, I went behind the bench uh, with him just, uh, you know, not to do any coaching or anything, but uh, uh, just to get the sense behind the bench, which is a, is a lot different than when you're sitting in front of that. Uh, the coaches. Uh, everything changes back there. But, uh, and, you know, when I played, we'd always talk. I talked uh, even with Craig McTavish. Uh, we always joked, or uh, not even joked, we talked about maybe working together and being coaches someday.
1: Wow, that's interesting stuff, but obviously both of you guys went on went on to do it. Was there a coach you had or somebody that you really thought, "Okay, this is this is a guy that that I sort of want to model my coaching style after?" And I know you're never exactly the same as anybody, but you mentioned Jacques yeah. Demers. Was he your biggest influence or who would have it been?
4: Well, they're, yeah, they're all they're all you get great influences by everybody uh, You know, way back to junior, I had Russ Farwell as a coach, and he's still a GM in the league. And we have a, I learned a lot from him, Terry Crest down in the minors. uh, um, uh, Bill Deneen was huge for me when I was in the minors down uh, with Detroit. And then you get a relationship with, uh, you know, the Edmonton guys, and it started with Ron Lowe, who really believed in me, and he was a big influence on me getting called up and playing for the Oilers. And then once we got to the Oilers, the big stigma of, Ah uh, Glenn Sather. he was a he was a big personality. and and John Muckler was just an unbelievable coach. And they had a great mix there with Ted Green and Ron Lowe and Glenn Sather running it, and it just seemed to work. Uh, everybody had a lot of respect for each other, and I just seen the way all those guys worked. And the biggest thing is they all they were all positive people that uh, it was all about winning. And um, you know a lot of people talk about winning now, and it's really hard. It's very hard hard to win. But you got to do the right things. There's certain there's certain reasons why um, certain people win uh, a lot, and, and all those qualities. That's what a guy's got to look to if you wanna if you wanna be a winner.
1: Well, well said. And I know you're passing those on to your teams in the Western Hockey League as uh, you continue with the Swift Current Broncos. Mark, I look forward to hopefully uh, shaking your hand tomorrow. It's gonna be fun. Really appreciate that they took the time to join us on Inside Sports here on
4: 6:30 Chat. Yeah, anytime. I can't wait to be there.
1: Right on. Former Oiler Mark Lamb. Up next, former chairman of the Edmonton Investors Group, Cal Nichols. Inside Sports on Ched.
0: You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
1: Okay, well, it's a tough 6-2 6-2 for Brandon after two. They are out shooting the Oil Kings 39-18. So it looks like the season for Edmonton's WHL team will come to an end tonight, but we'll keep you updated. Reed Wilkins with you. Thanks for tuning in. Cal Nichols is is waiting on the line, and usually I wouldn't make Cal wait longer than he had to, but I think he'll appreciate that I'm going to read this email that I got from a listener named Dan to Inside Sports at 630Ched.com. Dan says, Hi, Reed, I grew up in Holtley, Alberta, with very little money. When I was 12 years old, my mom, who was a single mom and a widow, somehow was able to get two tickets to a game. I remember we picked them up in Hobima, and thanks to whoever the First Nations person was who gave them to us. It was 1982, Oilers versus Kings. There were only two tickets, so my mom took my friend and I to Northlands Coliseum. By the time we got there, the game had already started, and I will never forget the feeling when I walked onto the concourse ...and saw number 99 skating. I froze. I couldn't move. The only thought in my head was, he is actually real. All I had ever seen of Wayne Gretzky was a very snowy, black-and-white TV picture. So I was totally a deer in the headlights. I'm sure I stood there for 10 minutes before I could move. Meanwhile, my mom, sitting out in the car was waiting for us. It got too cold in the car, and she couldn't waste any gas running the vehicle, so she went into the vestibule at the Coliseum to wait in the warmth. She was approached by an usher asking what she was doing, so she explained that she was waiting for kids. The usher then took her into the stands and to an unoccupied seat only five rows from the ice. This made my day to find this out after the game as... Even though I was on cloud nine to see Gretzky, I still had guilt knowing that my mom was waiting outside. So thanks to whoever that usher was, I've had many great times in that building as an adult, but that one from being a kid still close to my heart. That is from Dan in Red Deer. And that is a very special story. And as we bring in Cal Nichols, Cal, I just thought you would enjoy, enjoy hearing that before I brought you on.
5: I love those stories. <laughs> They're just wonderful.
1: Yeah, I mean we've we've had a couple tonight. Somebody who mer- moved out from Newfoundland earlier, who uh, was was very nicely treated by an by an usher as well. And I guess you know on shows like this, we 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 pick apart the team and and uh, go through the ups and downs with the fans, Cal. But I guess that's the great thing about Rexall Place. It it is and arenas like that they are gathering places for for fans and for people.
5: You know, uh, <laughs> as you're reading that. Uh... I, you know, I've got so many memories of the place, and certainly one of the things I'll never forget were the, the, uh, the ushers and the people that worked for Northlands. They were many of them were volunteers, some of them were part-time employees, but they were absolutely wonderful. I, uh, I, I got to know a lot of them, not so much by name but by face, and, uh, you know, lots of times I just uh, walk up to them, shake their hands, or hug them, and. Uh, I uh, I think they were an incredible part of the history of uh, of Rexall Place and of Northlands.
1: Yeah, well said for sure.
5: Cal, do you remember the first time you went to the building? I do. It was the opening night against uh, the Cleveland Crusaders. You were at that game. I, I was there. Oh uh, God, that was that was a real. That was quite a night. <laughs> the city was just on a high. It was so happy to have this new facility, and uh, it was a sh- it was a showplace. Uh, many uh m- many other cities in the country were very envious of what we uh, were uh, w- uh, walking into and uh, it was it was uh, it was I was just proud to be an Edmontonian at that time
1: well, what do you remember about the 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 process I mean I had Don Clark on the show last night who, who had some great stories as i 'm sure you can imagine but uh, I mean what do you remember about the process of getting that built? Because I know there was that omniplex proposal on the table and and, uh, what was sort of the political and financial landscape like to get Northlands built at that time?
5: Well, I hadn't been in Edmonton too many years and uh, I remember the omniplex uh, proposal and uh, uh, I did uh, I was one who voted for it. I thought it would be, uh, you know, a great uh, facility to it was really more about football then but the uh, plan was to uh, be able to put an ice surface in there for uh, for hockey at whatever level it might be, but it didn't happen. And uh, then you know, along comes uh, you know Bill Hunter and the WHA, uh, uh, you know the, the whole uh, uh, you know the creation of it. And uh, then we uh, move into Northlands. But I was I was the Imperial Oil agent uh, in Edmonton at the time, and Tony but Tony bowling Bowling were building the building, and I remember you know usually it was our employees that went down and made the deliveries. but on this one occasion i uh, was taking uh, some some petroleum products in there, oil and and uh, gasoline for the construction crew and uh, I drove in there, and the the lower seats had not yet been put in, and I just was right in sort of in the center race area in the you know, and right in the middle of the construction, I looked around and I said, "There's not room enough to put a ice an ice rink in here. The two two hundred by eighty five feet, it just seemed uh, so tight." But you know, it got built, and you know, I, it it all worked. But uh, that's how far my memories go of the uh, of the creation of. of uh,
1: all place yeah that's great Cal Nichols joining us tonight inside sports on 630 Chet. and of course Cal you eventually uh, became a very key part of the uh, Edmonton investors group you were the you were the chairman for for a long run and you know a lot of times when I've been doing these interviews over the past week you're talking about memories of of the building but I think for you there's some perspective here on the actual <laughs> the actual structure Um I, I, I'm just going to word this this way. I don't know if you'll like the wording, or you're, you'll have a, a, you know a, a problem with it, or you'll understand what I'm getting at. But but I mean, w- did the building itself become an obstacle to the long-term success of of the Edmonton Oilers?
5: No, not not at all. I, uh, the the building was uh, a very important and necessary part of it. And so when when we came along and took ownership of the team. The, the issues weren't so much about the building, but it was about the economics of uh, keeping the team here and uh, making it all work. And at that time, it was, you know, the team was losing money. Attendance was uh, was soft. The uh, Canadian dollar was uh, 67 or 68 cents. So it was more about how do, how do we put this all together to ensure that the team continues to be here. The building only became a necessary facility that you had to... Uh, used to play in and so at this at the beginning it was it was more about uh, how, do we, how do we make this economically work and uh, what happened with the building you know there there are many uh, process processes we went through we uh, you know uh, put the new score clock in we uh, we uh, took out a bunch of seats on the upper blues I think there was four rows then put 11 suites level five. Then uh, redid the other dressing room and moved the owner's suite from one side of the building to the other. So there was a lot of uh, structural things that we went through in the process. But, uh, you know, it's a great building, served its uh, purpose, but, you know, I think it's time to move on.
1: Well, and yeah, Roger's place obviously will uh, will open up in the, in the fall. I mean, what was the... Um I I I mean I think you've talked about this before in other other shows. I I mean there there was a point here where for the for the Oilers to be viable in Edmonton where there had to be a new rink is, the, is that fair to say or how do you look at that?
5: Sure. Uh in our in your, in our tenure of ownership, I got to go to almost every uh building in the league and along in that period of time came the new generation of buildings and they were just glitzier, they were bigger, more suites. Revenue generators. They had uh, all sorts of amenity uh, uh, attractions, and you know the uh, the uh, legroom in the seats were bigger. And uh, you know, and I keep saying that if if you'd never seen a bu- any other building than uh, Northlands or Rexall, it w- it looked fine. But uh, it was when I'd, when you went out and looked at these other buildings, and saw what they were, I said, you know, uh, we're going to have to get there sooner than than later and uh... it was uh... about economics it was about the location of the building and uh... you know if we were going to uh... uh, have economic viability and uh... probably just as important attract uh... world-class players here that we're going to be happy calling uh, the the orders the edmonton home and the others their team we were going to have to do better than uh, what we had so uh... You know that's sort of the process that we went through in uh, in our tenure.
1: All right, Cal Nichols, joining us, uh, former chairman of the EIG. Let me just ask you this one to to, to wrap it up, Cal, and, and great perspective on on uh, on your time at, with the EIG. What are you most looking forward to tomorrow?
5: Well, it's going to be great to see all the uh, the former players that have played here. Many of them I got to know personally. Ran into a few of them today uh, during practice. And, uh, you know, it, there's going to be mixed emotions. Uh, uh, so many memories, like I personally went to hundreds of games there and, uh, enjoyed it so much over all those years. But, you know, I've, I've also, t- uh, had a chance to go through the new building downtown and, uh, I, I think, uh, it's going to be in a league of its own. And, uh, I, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's life. You, uh, you move on and, uh, you know, it's hard to believe that uh, I was there for the opening. We'll be there in the closing in a in a short lifetime, and uh, and yet, you know, uh, as we move forward as a city, and uh, I, th- I think we have to, uh, you know, just uh, keep up with uh, the rest of the league, and uh, and uh, you know, just continue to improve ourselves. And uh, so, I think, you know, that I'm I'm just going to go through all sorts of uh, you know memory processes and. Uh, i I'll do'll do, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it and uh, and think about all those things as we're doing it tomorrow
1: right on Cal thanks so much for your time I know you're doing a few of these interviews today and tomorrow so thanks for making time for us on inside sports and i'm I'm sure I'll see you at the rink
5: yes absolutely yeah thanks thanks a lot Reed.
1: Right on. That is Cal Nichols checking in tonight. Some uh, memories from more of a uh, business perspective, obviously, than than playing and, and coaching. And he was obviously a very important figure in the Edmonton Investors group. As uh, you know, it's uh, you forget sometimes. We were wondering mid mid nineties was was Edmonton going to have an NHL team? Were they going to be taken away like Winnipeg, Hartford, and Quebec? The other WHL cities all lost their teams now. Obviously it's gone back to Winnipeg and maybe it'll go back to Quebec City. I don't know if Hartford's getting one back. Still ahead, you'll hear a little bit from Yari Curry from UC Marketing. Jack Michaels is gonna slide onto the show. Full scoreboard update as well inside sports on 630 Chet.
0: This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader 630 Chen.
1: It is Inside Sports indeed, mysterious voice man. The New York Islanders have clinched a playoff spot. They beat the Washington Capitals 4-3 in overtime. The Sabres knock off the Devils 3-1. Eichel got his 24th. Kings and Flames tied 1-1 after the first Sharks up 2-0 in Minnesota. That's after two periods. Couture and Marlowe have the goals. Also after two, Colorado and Nashville even at two. Chicago up 3-0 on Arizona tonight. Patrick Kane, his 44th of the season. Nine minutes left in the second period there. Penguins and Senators deadlocked at three with nine minutes left. Panthers leading Montreal 3-1 late in the third The Rangers on home ice up 3-2 on Tampa Bay halfway through the third period. And the Hurricanes edge the Boston Bruins 2-1 in a shootout. Going to the third period in Brandon looks like it's going to be the final period of the season. For the Edmonton Oil Kings, Brandon is up 6-2 and they're up 3-2 in the series. Inside Sports, presented by AMA. Be listening tomorrow as the Oilers host the Canucks. The final game at Rexall Place. Face-off show at 3. The puck will hit the ice at 5. AMA, safety and savings for your family. Jack Michaels will be calling that game. He's going to join us in about 15 minutes or so. And uh, we'll do a little bit of master's talk with Craig MacArthur, head golf pro at Blackhawk Golf Club. He has played Augusta National. He has played Augusta National. Tampa Bay up 3-2 on the Blue Jays, bottom of the eighth. Blue Jays just making a pitching change as we speak. Uh, so here's, here's the thing. Remember we got that documentary tomorrow, Kellen, 2-3 to three in the afternoon. Rexall's last stand. Hope you can check it out. I believe we might play it again Friday night. Mm-hmm. But hopefully you can listen first time through in the afternoon. Mm. Now something else, we're doing something else tomorrow. And i I'm, I hope I'm explaining this right. It was explained to me by Zach in our promotions department. If you are at Rexall Place tomorrow night, or or tomorrow I guess, any any time, but for the game, mm-hmm. you can you can do a Snapchat, okay? And then there's gonna be a six thirty Ched filter. Right. Do you know how this works? Uh, so Snapchat, you can have filters that are specific yeah. to certain locations. Yeah. So if I if I did a Snapchat right now, I wouldn't be able to do it. No. But the Ched filter will be active at Rexall Place. Mm-hmm. So you can do a Snapchat from the game tomorrow, for example. And then I think you swipe and all the filters scroll through. Yep. So you'll see a Ched one there. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Just say, just agree with me and say it's pretty cool. Oh,
0: it's, it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I thought you had more to talk about with that because we're oh, talking well, like. Was,
1: yeah, I guess it was kind of a rhetorical it's, question. It's,
0: it's cutting edge technology. You're younger Reed. than me, you're into all this hip stuff. Like, you know? when, you, when you were little, Reed Wilkins, out in Evansburg or Entwistle or wherever. Evansburg. Entwistle Evansburg, was
1: across the river. Yeah, exactly. Nice town.
0: Yeah. Uh, and watching the Jetsons, did you ever think we'd be living like the Jetsons one day? You know, well, with little tablets and Facetimes <laughs> and Snapchats. I, and... I,
1: what, I used to watch the Flintstones, not the uh, not the Jetsons. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, if now am I? How do I find out what my Snapchat username is?
0: Uh, is there a little thing that says options? Oh, here we are. Username:
1: Reid Wilk. R e i d W i l k. Everybody, follow me on Snapchat. There you go. I rarely snap. But I will tomorrow from the from the game. Is that what is that what you do? I mean, if you're on Twitter, you tweet. Yeah. If
0: you're on Snapchat, are you snapping? I. It could be misconstrued as something else. Uh, that's not, I think it's just Snapchatting. I don't think there's an actual shortened uh, form for that. Okay. Yeah. Now, what is it? I personally have not signed on to Snapchat yet, so I'm just going by hearsay and what I've seen other people have have done yet, but. It's it, it, it looks very cool. And it looks like something that I should actually get involved in the next couple of days for sure. So my username is
1: Reed Wilk, but my name shows I think also shows up as, as Reed Wilkins.
0: I don't know. I think the the second thing is who you actually are and then like the top things like your username. That's usually how it works on social networks like that. Well, see, you know this kind of stuff. Well, I'm just going by what I assume is correct information. There's probably somebody screaming at me at the radio right now saying, He's wrong! What's wrong with you? Uh, by the way, what do you think of WrestleMania quickly here? Uh, great, but long. Who won? Uh, well, Roman Reigns, again, world heavyweight champion for the third time. Whatever happened to that yes, yes, yes guy? Retired. Daniel Bryan? He retired. Why did he retire? Neck injury. Oh, that's sad. That is sad. It's
1: very sad. Yep. So Uh, now I'm looking at Snapchat. I should concentrate. All right. (laughs) Here's what we're going to do. We got the uh, news break coming up. We have Jack Michael still ahead. You'll hear a little bit from Yari Curry and UC Markinen. Craig MacArthur as well to talk a little Masters. Well, we're going to have to do our Masters draft tonight, Kellen, you and me. Yeah, I'm better prepared for better it this get, year. Are you prepared?
0: I'm better prepared. Yeah. You're, you're not going to take Sam Sneed? No, I'm not. I'm not going to take Gene uh, Sarazen. I'm not going to take um, uh, Ben Hogan. No. Walter Hagen. Greg Norman. Lee Trevino. No. Lee, no, don't take Trevino. No Trevino. <laughs> Inside
1: Sports on 6:30, Chad. Uh, 3-2 for Tampa Bay. Bottom of the eighth. They got another runner on here. So they're trying to get some insurance against the Blue Jays. And uh, the Oil Kings. It's no, oh my goodness! Brandon scored in the first minute of the third period. It's now seven-two for the Wheat Kings.
0: Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.